Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Chris Maybe. I want to begin our message with a couple of questions and some facts. So on a real personal level, what, what does Ash Wednesday mean to you? Why does the church, why has the church celebrated Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent for over 1,500 years? What's its purpose? I think these questions are helpful to ponder every year as we begin Lent together because over the years, many have used this day and the season in ways that are unhelpful and unbiblical. You see, we can feign real repentance and belief that the ritual and ashes do the job for us, which is to miss the point of the day and the season. And we have other rituals in the Presbyterian Church. The sacraments, for example, some might consider rituals but they're foundationally different from that what we're doing tonight. Where we celebrate the sacraments because we're commanded by Jesus to do them in the scriptures. But on Ash Wednesday, we meet and worship and impose ashes as a ritual, not because we're commanded by Christ, but as a tradition of the church, tradition of men, which is why it's important to think deeply about both the day and season of Lent and the ritual of imposing ashes, and for some, for fasting, we're giving things up during the season. You see, friends and visitors, Ash Wednesday is mostly about telling the truth. It's about telling the truth about our world, telling the truth about ourselves. It's about being self-reflective and authentic. The simplest form this day and this season of Lent are about sin and the forgiveness of sin. It's all about our need to repent to God about our sin. We need to repent for the sins of our country and world. We need to admit and own our personal sin and our complacency in our world. And I need to repent personally. I'm not just providing this message for you, or God doesn't provide this message from Hosea to you. It's, it's ecumenical for all of us, right? We all need to repent, particularly for particular sins. I need to turn away from the sin that owns me and draw closer to Christ. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, we find a prophetic book that's all about repentance, or the turning away from sin. The northern kingdom of Israel some 2,700 years ago was messed up. They were going through the motions with their 13th bad king on the throne in a row, adhering to the sacrificial rituals, pretending to repent, pretending to turn away from the sin that owned them, pretending to worship the God who is, and instead worshiping the stuff of their nation and make-believe God of agriculture, fertility, and wealth. And God, through the prophet, calls them out for their sins, hoping all along to reclaim them as the people that he cherished. And we need to hear God through the prophet Hosea well tonight, because if we got out of Ash Wednesday service, if all we get out of it is that we're really messed up sinners and we need to just try harder, we've missed the point. We've missed the point of Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. 
For owning one's sin doesn't remove it, doesn't atone for it, doesn't assure us in it and of itself. And this is the part of Ash Wednesday that I think we must understand and believe. Ash Wednesday is about hope and trust and forgiveness and truth. For Lent, with the season that Ash Wednesday ushers in for the church, is the 40 days that lead up to Easter and the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, imposing ashes is just the beginning of Lent, and Lent doesn't end on Ash Wednesday. And so tonight we name who we are and where we are, but we don't stop with the ritual. We look beyond ourselves to who Christ is and to what the God of steadfast love creates in us as we repent and come to Jesus in faith. Friends, genuine repentance is both possible and necessary because we're loved by the true God of justice, mercy, and forgiveness. Hosea 6, 1-6 teaches us that we can own our sin and return to God in confidence in two parts as the prophet teaches us to repent in, number one, ashes with integrity, number two, ashes with hope. Now, in turn, as they appear in the text, the first, we repent in ashes with integrity. What, you know, what are ashes? You know, what do we, we use them here specifically on Ash Wednesday, but what are they? Well, what you might not know is that we actually take the palm fronds from the previous Palm Sunday here that we celebrate at the church and smoke them up, cook them up really good to produce the ashes and then add a little olive oil and we've got our ashes for Ash Wednesday. We like to keep it in house, you see. But what are they? What are ashes really? Well, the ashes, you know, are literally just spent fuel or for the scientists out there, they're really carbon. They just boil it down to carbon, getting rid of a lot of the additives. But ashes in the Bible symbolize a gamut of human weaknesses. You know, for example, in the book of Job, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, they signify the weakness of human wisdom. Or in the case of Job's friends, their worthless advice. Right, the ashes of their his friend's worthless advice. In Isaiah, ashes symbolize the weakness of idolatry, as God through Isaiah tells us that worshiping uh, what we create is like eating ash, seeking calories from spent fuel. For Isaiah, ashes signify our sin and our idol worship, and looking at our sin both collectively, as in our country and in our world, and focusing down on our individual sin, the way that God looks at sin, is painful. It's painful. It's hard to look at our own sin as God looks at it, isn't it? And you see, in the Bible, ashes were also used to symbolize death and mourning and grief for sin, but they were also used to represent God's cleansing of His unclean people, you see. What we do tonight isn't about magic, even though it's a ritual. It's about making a change, turning around and turning away from ourselves and our help, unhelpful and sinful inclinations and affections. Because we know it's true, if we're really being open to being truthful with ourselves in our world, that we all sin. And in case you might disagree, the Bible tells us that all people sin and fall short of the glory of God and that the punishment or wages of sin is death which is why all people die, because we're all sinners. 
For the goodness of life is perverted by the reality of sin and the death for all of us, and death expresses God's judgment on our sin, you see. And Hosea, our prophet in our text for this evening, identifies himself with the people of God and calls on him to join, calls on all the people to join him in returning to Yahweh. Return to the truth, he says, as he indicts, return and be healed to the text, Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he's torn us, and he's, he may heal us. He struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will rise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. His will, he will come to us as the showers as the spring rains that water the earth, which we experience today. Come, God, prophet commands. Come, all of us, let us return to the Lord. And this word to return in the Hebrew of this particular text is a verb of motion. Motion of mind, motion of body, motion of action. It requires to turn around, as the text said, to move your minds and your bodies. Nineteen times in Hosea, the prophet commands, let us return to the Lord. Let us turn back to the Lord. The prophet does, as all the Old Testament prophets do, being directed by God. What do they do? What do the prophets do in the Old Testament? They indict us for our sin, right? They indict the people that they're giving their prophecy to. And they pass judgment in the Word of God as a just judge on the people. But they also provide instruction to them to follow and an invitation to come back to the Lord as he offers hope and reconciliation. All the prophets do it. Hosea does it quite well. And the exhortation to repent is for all of us. Return to Yahweh, the covenant God of steadfast love. Why? Well, the text tells us that he heals our injuries and he binds our wounds, as we see in the resurrection that occurs on the third day. You know, and it's really interesting in, in this particular text here in Hosea 6.2, the New Testament writers and Jesus pick up this text to denote his rising from the dead on the third day. You may remember Paul, for example, in his first letter to the church in, in uh, Corinth in chapter 15, starting in verse 4 or verse 3, where he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, Hosea 6.2. The ultimate outcome is that we have life in his presence, of which we can be certain, as we can be as the dawn of the sun and the rain that comes in the spring, the prophet tells us. But is this true repentance? Is this real repentance? Is this faulty attrition? or genuine contrition, as someone like myself, who's a little weird and likes big words, I guess, might say, right? Is it attrition or contrition? You know the difference? To be a trite is actually being sad that you got busted with your hand in the cookie jar. But to be contrite is to actually make a change, to really repent, to have a heartfelt, uh, sincere, or sincere sadness for the things that you've done, right? Being deeply troubled in your heart because you know you're messed up. 
attrition versus contrition. I, you know, Hosea here seems to be concerned that it's the former, right? Attrition. After all, Israel, the nation, was currently on its 13th king. 13 in a row. They were all bad guys. You know, since, since the splitting of the kingdom some 200 years before this text was written or so. You know, and things are getting worse and worse. Were the people of Israel simply going through the rituals, or did they actually have a really heartfelt change? And God, through Hosea, indicts us too, doesn't He? What are we seeking on Ash Wednesday and in the season of Lent? Rituals? Symbols? Ashes on foreheads to go out into our watching world and display? And this is hard stuff. It's hard stuff, friends. It's difficult for all of us to truly acknowledge the depth of our sin, which is why we're much happier confessing the sins of others in how we gossip and pointing out just how sinful our world is by consuming so much rancor that's in the news. Everyone's a victim. Everyone's a victim in our day and age. But the notion begs the question, if everyone's a victim, who are the offenders? Who are the offenders? Well, put simply, all of us. All of us are the offenders. What would happen in our homes and in our communities and in our nation if we, the people of God, were the first to repent instead of the first to accuse? How would the world respond to that? You know, if we're admitting when we sin, which we should do, and repenting of it, if we're the first to admit when we're wrong, and ask for forgiveness. How would the world respond to that? Now, I'm far from the perfect dad. My wife's sitting right there. She can attest to that. Bless her heart. But I remember about 10 years ago, my oldest daughter, Lauren, and I were having a moment. And for all you dads out there that have had little girls in particular, you know what the moments are sometimes. And um, I went off on her during the moment. And I remember her, she ran up in the room and was crying unconsolably. And uh, after a bit, I thought and I realized that, you know, that I had really failed her. I'd really failed her. I, I needed to repent. And so in tears, I went up and, you know, repented of her. Honestly, told her I was sorry. It was, un, you know, it was unpleasant, so to speak. Hard for me at that time. But you know what happened? She melted. She melted like a stick of hot butter. Why? Because I truly repented and she forgave me and all the tension in our relationship was gone immediately. I'll never forget it. It's a, it's a really great reminder for me. How might our world respond to us Christians if we repented to God and to the world when we sin? Why is it so hard for us to repent? Why? You know, it's really interesting to me that one of the ways that social and news media keep us glued to our screens is they link to our opinions that they provide for us that we disagree with. It's purposeful. You know, I mean, they data mine. They know who you are in a sense. They know I'm not like, I hope you don't think what I'm saying is weird, but I mean, there's, there's data that supports this claim, right? I mean, there's a sense in which the, the media that we consume is known by other people, and they use that for advertising purposes and so on, but they also use it to send 
particularly incendiary news feeds to us, which are things that they think will oppose us. And they do that particularly because they know it'll keep us glued to our screens, right? It'll keep us glued to our posts. And in addition to that, like being able to keep track of the number, number of followers that you have and how many posts that you post that people like, we can, be, we can just become addicted to social media, right? Addicted to the fight. You know, and it seems that many of us find particular satisfaction in noting the sins of our opponents in the world, and we can become dependent on it, literally. Literally dependent on it, because what happens during that scenario, why you get addicted, is because you get a, you get a, a sudden increase in dopamine in your brain, which makes you want to do it more and more and more. The more we consume, the more dopamine we get, the better we feel. It's like taking a drink. It's like if you're a smoker, if you've ever been a smoker, it's like taking a deep drag off a cigarette. You just can't wait for the other one, right? It reinforces our behavior. You know, and I'm not saying all social and news media is bad or sinful, but the way in which we consume them and the subtle way in which they facilitate us pointing out the sins of others might be. Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent are purposed to help us break our death grip our death grip on the sins of others in our world, of which there are many, to focus on our own stuff, our own sins, and our own idol worship. And yet there's hope, friends, great hope, because the prophet teaches on by giving us a clear vision of true repentance and real hope in the truth of God's word and his promises. Because what we do tonight is not solely about looking back at our sins authentically, but it's also about looking forward into the steadfast love of the triune God of life, who invites us to return to him in faith, which leads us to part two of this devotion and why it's important that, number two, we repent in ashes with hope. Repent in ashes with hope. Friends, you see there's a difference between attrition and contrition or being sorry that you got caught versus being sorry that you let God and yourself and your community down and really hoping to turn around and change. For real repentance or contrition leads to real change. Turning around and going the other way is the word for repentance in Hebrew means. Let's see how God encourages us through Hosea as he invites us to come back to him in this text. Back to the text in verse 4 through 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have honed them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth, for my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, the prophet tells us. See, it appears the prophet has concerns about people's sincerity, doesn't it? What am I going to do with you, God says through the prophet? Your love is like the morning cloud and the dew that goes away early. You, your love is fickle, he says. It comes and goes quickly. But we need to know that the prophet here is not just a religious reactionary who simply desires to stamp out the social sins of injustice in his day and impose religious duty on the people. But rather, the prophet desires that his reader acquire the loving and compassionate heart that comes from a transformed life with God. 
You see, in Hosea's day and age, the rituals of Israel had become a barrier to true spirituality. And rituals and traditions of men can become impediments for us too. But don't hear what the prophet's not saying. That God regards sacrifice and ritual worship and formal liturgy as intrinsically bad. The stuff we do, the structure of our worship service, the things that we're going to do tonight on Ash Wednesday, he's not saying that those by necessity are intrinsically bad. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. You know, I hope you come to love our formal liturgy in our tradition and the many traditions that we have here at this church. And I hope you're enjoying and finding value and listening to me talk right now and being here for Ash Wednesday. And I hope you're going to find value in, if, if you choose to have the imposition of ashes. The prophet's not saying that. He's not saying that we need to dispel with those rituals. You see, the people of Israel missed the point of their call to turn around. And Judah was easily depraved and ultimately came to the same outcome as well when they were exiled to Babylon some 150 years later, as the text says, or as the text tells us, um, you know, what shall I do with you, O Judah? And frustration abounds for us as we feel the tension sin creates in our day and age, doesn't it? What shall I do with you, God asks? Steadfast love of God coupled with the feigned worship and sacrifice and ashes and the lack of a true knowledge of God and His people. What shall I do with you? Faulty love, God says, circumstantial love, love that blows in the wind that evaporates in the heat of the morning sun, as the text says. To which God responds not vindictively, or capriciously, or as, an, as some might say, as a knee-jerk reaction. He doesn't respond like a despot or an unstable tyrant of a divinity. He responds, responds simply enough. He responds with measured judgment, right? You see, there's consequences of sin from a holy God, friends, which is why we need and are offered Jesus. The people of Israel were fickle and changeable, as they waffled about in their sin, seeking happiness and worshiping the man-made idols of their day. But Yahweh, the covenant God of steadfast love, is not. And so His judgments go forth in light and truth and an ever-present invitation to the watching world to truly repent and believe. Verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. And this is one of the greatest texts that we have from the prophets, for Jesus uses it in several locations to expose the hypocrisy of the religious elite in his day. One that I found particularly helpful in preparing for this message is Matthew's Gospel account, where Jesus is called Matthew, the tax collector guy, because he was extorting them of extra money for his own profit. And it's this guy that Jesus calls to be one of his apostles, right? The tax collector guy. You know, the people hated him, particularly the Pharisees, you know, who were really good at doing and demanding all the rituals and sacrifices of the people, exacting it from them, right? As Jesus passes on, this, this is from Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, Jesus tells the Pharisees, who criticized Jesus' followers for not adhering to their man-made traditions and rituals. And this word translated steadfast love in our text in verse 6 in Hosea is translated mercy in Matthew's account. It's the same word. Now, this is translated from the Hebrew. If we had a Greek Old Testament, the word would be, it'd be, stead, it'd be mercy instead of steadfast love. They're the same word. Steadfast love and the knowledge of God rather than sacrifice, ritual, and the traditions of men, Jesus says. You see, friends, Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent can be wonderful events. A call to repentance, a call to real faith as we look forward to Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. But what it is not is a ritual to be received outside of the knowledge of God's love, outside of the purposes of true repentance and turning away from our sin, outside of a thorough understanding of our need for Jesus and the forgiveness we have by grace through faith in Him. Jesus embodied what the nation of Israel could not. He was without sin when we cannot. And we receive Jesus' perfect obedience become just in God's eyes when we respond to the invitation of Christ to return to Him in repentance and faith. And so have the ashes imposed today, if you want to. I'm going to. Fast during this season of Lent if you feel it'll bring you closer to God. Do what you desire, but do it out of an understanding of the steadfast love of God and not the position of earning something from God for your sacrifice and your effort. Our real repentance and true faith are what are necessary and demanded in the text, not ceremonial observances of traditions that neither atone for our sins by the acts themselves or get us any closer to God. Happy Ash Wednesday, friends. Let's repent and return to God. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast, and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.